0: Hi everyone, welcome back to Black Tech Unplugged. I'm your host, Dina McKay, and I'm back with a brand new episode. In honor of kids starting school again this month, I decided to feature a woman who brings STEM not only to kids, but their parents and teachers too. So this episode is featuring the lovely Kelly O. Williams. Kelly is the co-founder of Page and Paxton, along with her mother, Rachel. And in this episode, you'll hear about Kelly's career path, you're learning about Page and Paxton, and there's a lot to talk about regarding community. So let's get it. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Today, we have a really special guest. We have Kelly O. Williams, who is part of Page and Paxton. Welcome, Kelly. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Dina. Of course. So I know I said that your business is Page & Paxton, but why don't you explain to the listeners what exactly Page & Paxton is and what they do?
1: Sure. Um, so hi, I'm Kelly Williams. I am the co-founder and CEO of Page and & Paxton. And uh, what we're doing at Page & Paxton is that we are solving the big problem that our children are behind the rest of the world uh, in the U.S. Children in the U.S. are behind the rest of the world when it comes to science, technology, engineering, and math also known as STEM, in the education community. And this is not only undermining our kids' future, but also our future as a nation and being globally competitive. Um, and so what we've done at Page and Paxton is we've actually uh, devised a way to introduce these very complex concepts to kids as young as four years old. And uh, we do this through um, storytelling with the characters Page and Paxton and also through pairing that together with project-based learning. Well, I know I'm personally
0: interested. How did you come up with the name Page and Paxton for your product?
1: Paige and Paxton actually is a, well, mainly because the, the characters are puzzle pieces and they live mm-hmm. in puzzle land. Um, and so the uh, characters actually call, come from my childhood. And so when my mom... Um, was uh, raising two young girls, uh, specifically two girls of color. Um, one of the things that she wanted to do um, was make sure that we were good at science and math. Uh, there wasn't mm-hmm. a term called STEM back then. And so she actually came out with these puzzle piece characters called Patty and Patrick. Um, but that was um, when, we, when we wanted to bring my characters back to life in 2012. Uh, we decided not to keep those old names. Um, and mm-hmm. so we, we picked these uh, a little bit more modern uh, names of Page and Paxson, but it's mainly alliteration. <laughs> and so all the, if you'll uh, pay attention to the storylines of, P- of Page and Paxson, you'll see that all the characters' names start with a P. Okay, so everything comes together with different P names.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's go into a little bit more detail of Paige and Paxson before we jump into what it- you do and so what methods are you guys using to teach children about STEM?
1: Yeah. um, So basically what we do, um, I guess I can tell you a little bit about what we offer. And so uh, we offer an actual formalized curriculum that's designed for kids under the age of eight. So we're really focused at the early childhood level, making sure that kids, while they're really forming their academic identities, deciding what they're good at, that they have an opportunity to get exposed to science, technology, engineering, and math, and really explore those in a very comfortable and like non-judgmental environment. And so we, actually do that through in and out of school curriculum. And our curriculum is also a train the trainer model. So one of the things that um, is really important with teaching young kids is actually getting the adults around them to be comfortable with teaching the subject matter. And so that includes not only teachers, and elementary teachers actually have the highest math and science anxiety. People who study elementary education have the highest math and science anxiety of any undergraduate major. And so those um, people, yeah, so those people who you usually go into elementary education Um, and a lot of times and the unfortunate fact is that they're women who tend to be elementary educators went into it based on you know a lot of the fears that they have about science and math and how they were taught those subjects growing up and so unconsciously and sometimes consciously, they do things that uh, cause kids to not enjoy those subjects very early because of their own anxieties about it. And so that's something that we really take into account because, you know, at the end of the day, if you put kids in like project based hands on learning, where they're solving a problem and they're using all their, you know, all the the tools at their disposable and uh, at their disposal in order to do it. Most small children will actually succeed in that. They're, they're actually very good at solving problems. It's really about how do you make sure that that environment continues and how do you make sure that the adults around them are comfortable with that type of learning and know how to continue to facilitate it. So a lot of our curriculum isn't also just about the kids, but it's really about making sure the curriculum is comfortable and easy to understand for adults as well. Because <laughs> um, if you think about it, when's the last time that most of us have ever known or <laughs> heard about like a chemical engineer? Chemical engineering, you know, I'm sure most of us never did that <laughs> in school, or if we did it, like we don't remember what that looks like, right? So right. we make sure that the adults uh, un- are getting up to speed on those concepts and that they understand how to translate those to children and really meaningful way so our uh, training and professional development for teachers is a really 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 critical piece of that Um, and recently we've actually uh, started a parent support community because we had a lot of kids go through our programming attend our events called uh makeup on. The parents themselves actually wanted to learn how to do STEM at home and what that looks like and how to like keep their kids on those, those pathways. Uh, so we mm-hmm. actually have a parent community called Little Learner STEM Lab. It started as a Facebook community and now we do live streams. Actually, are doing a summer of at-home projects. So we're doing three projects that parents can sign up for and do at home with their kids with help from us. So for example, we have a civil engineering at-home project where for three weeks, we actually help the parents and kids go through the engineering design process. We, we do weekly check-ins with the parents and kids and they all tune in and they actually get to talk to real, you know, civil engineers, electrical engineers, structural engineers who actually, you know, tell them, you know, what they're doing, you know, what they're doing well, how what they're doing is very similar to what they do at work and how they can uh, go through the next step of the process. So uh, we're trying to make it as easy and fun as possible for kids and um, the adults around them to engage in STEM. That's awesome. I feel in order for a child or a student to be
0: successful, the adults in their environment and community have to be involved. So I love that you don't just teach children STEM, but you also teach the community, being the adults that are around the children, be it their parents or a teacher, the information as well. And I'm Mm -hmm. wondering, because you're interacting with all the aspects of teaching someone the STEM subject, have you found that teaching the parents and the teachers has been an experience as well? And when I say an experience, I mean they're actually learning
1: a lot more that they didn't even know. Yes, very much so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We've had uh, adults who, you know, they have those aha moments and eureka moments. Because, um, I mean, well, I mean, a lot of um, our parents and teachers, like, obviously, you know, they're professionals, they've, uh, you know, they have, you know, a lot of times master's degrees, higher, Um, you know, there's a lot of things that um, I think, not injustices, but I think there's a lot of things that have happened to adults throughout their educational career (laughs) that Mm -hmm. have, played out in the way that they, you know, chosen certain career paths or not chosen to do certain things. And I think it actually gives them a lot of reflection Um, upon like okay what you know what went well with my education and then also like where where do I want um, what I want to make sure that doesn't happen to either my students or to my children as well like where are the places that I need to make sure that I'm being very intentional about empowering them especially if they're what they call especially if your child or students are what they call unrepresented groups in STEM like if they're children of color if they're girls, you know, you have to actually be very cognizant of, you know, what you're saying to them, how you're reinforcing, you know, their what their skills and abilities and just helping them to try things that they may not, you know, normally, you know, gravitate toward just to see if they would be interested in it. So, um yeah, I think it, it does cause a lot of reflection upon the adults, even like you said, learning way more than even the kids are learning. <laughs> right yeah
0: and i feel from just from you explaining what page and paxton is that kind of also leads into what inspired you to create page and paxton and let's go into that a little bit i know you mentioned previously that your mom was getting you and your sister more into more stem activities and trying to introduce that to you guys so is there more that you want to elaborate on when it comes to inspiration for page and paxton
1: yeah, I can uh tell you the I guess the long story long. <laughs> so, um, like I uh, mentioned before, uh Page and Paxton, the concept and the this everybody always wonders like where does this methodology come where you, come from where you have these characters who are teaching kids about STEM and then you have the project. Like how did how did you guys come up with that? And um so one of the things that uh what's what's really great about Page and Paxton is that it did come from my childhood. Um, that when you know, when I was growing up, my mom, she actually did not have a STEM background. Uh, she was a journalist by training. And uh she wanted to make sure that her daughters, who were honestly two girls of color, did not uh, were not um discouraged and actually really empowered to um engage in science and math. And so, like most parents, uh, you try a lot of different things with your kids. And some things were working, the programs and, you know, activities that she was trying with us. And then other things just weren't really resonating with us. Mm-hmm. So my mom took her matters into her own hands. And, you know, back in was it, the 90s, um, you didn't have the Internet like <laughs> like you do now. So my mom couldn't right. go into Google and, like, look up, like, science and math stuff. She actually had to go to the library take out books and you know do her own research and get herself up to speed on these subjects and then being the the great journalist uh, that she is is that you know journalists are really good at research and then they are also good at translating that research into storytelling and so she was able to you know disseminate or to you know, take in all that information. And then translate it to me and my sister, um, who were kids, through those uh, really cute puzzle piece characters that she created. And so then you fast forward about 20 years, and like most kids, you don't really realize what your parents do for you until you're an adult (laughs) and you start looking back. And I was in New York in finance, uh, working at J.P. Morgan, companies like J.P. Morgan Chase and American Express. Uh, My sister, Mm -hmm. she was actually studying biology at the time at Howard University in D.C. And then uh, today, my sister is actually a third-year dental student. And so back in uh, when I was in New York at the time in finance, I actually got very involved in the uh, tech pipelining movement, So, um, including getting involved um, in in helping to start the New York chapter of Black Girls Code, which I know you're really familiar with. Um, And so one of the things that I realized with all these really great programs that were trying to pipeline kids into some fields was that all of them, most most of them started in high school. You'd be lucky if they started at middle school. And so I realized that the kids who continued on down those pathways, often if you looked behind the curtain, you would realize that their parents were either like, you know, a a, um, computer engineer, or their uh, parent was a, you know, like a math teacher or something like that, you could tell that they actually had that foundation built at home before they even got to that STEM program. But there were a lot more kids who were proficient in the subjects but they just didn't have, like, either the push at home or either the confidence to continue on down this path, right? They would say, like, oh, I'm not a math person or, you know, I'm not a I'm not a science person or I'm not technical enough, even though they were technically doing the work, right, in the program. And so I told my mom what I was seeing, and I said, hey, you know, like, some, some programs seem to be growing. They're not going away. But I'm like, nobody's really focusing on building those skill sets early so that those kids have, number one, not only have the skills and abilities and confidence to move on, but also have the context of STEM and understand, like, why they would even pursue those fields to begin with. And so, of course, I told my mom that I I had this crazy idea of, like, bringing the characters back to life and refreshing them. And, of course, my mom thought I was crazy. Like, she's like, (laughs) I don't, she's like, nobody wants to see these puzzle piece characters. Like, I didn't really know what I was doing back then. And I, you know, after much convincing, I got my mom uh, to uh, work with me while I was still in New York and my mom was back at home in Chicago. And we basically were were virtually working on building up these characters in the curriculum for about a year and a half. And then we ended up signing on our first client, which was Chicago Public Schools for all their STEM elementary schools. Uh, and so I went ahead and quit my six figure job, moved home with all my stuff and my and my little cat and my mom was really happy about that and <laughs> but since then, you it continues to been pretty um pretty well and um you know, today we're in you know, 12 school systems across the country. We trained, um, you know, almost a thousand educators in elementary STEM. And so we're just continuing to build and grow and expand. And so it's been a really fun journey since then. Yes, it sounds like you guys have been on quite a journey. And Mm -hmm.
0: actually, I want to talk about the beginning of your journey. So you always were, you kind of talked about your past positions at the financial institutions and you were in the tech pipeline movement, but let's give the listeners a little bit of a background of how you started in the workforce, because you weren't always in
1: STEM. No, no. I've been finance, but I've also I've always been very um, entrepreneurial, mm-hmm. and I guess I've also been, you know, also pushed myself to be creative in terms of, you know, knowing how to do like teaching myself graphic design and stuff. So I think I've been in a lot of different things. <laughs> But it's because of
0: those different things that you've done that making your current experience successful, right? It's not, I guess what I'm trying to say is is you don't have to study tech and everything doesn't have to be tech. There's multiple ways to get into the industry and kind of get your business to be
1: successful. So I just wanted to highlight that 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 was your path. Yeah, that's true. And that, you know, at the end of the day, technology starts with people. You know, we can't we can't build great tech anything without anything that has to interact with humans <laughs> without being very in tune to humans. And so, yeah, I think there's a lot of cross sections um, with like even, you know, even I think a lot of times we think like, oh, you're either like creative or you're like techie and like numbers and that they don't like intersect ever, you know, mm-hmm. but they, they definitely do.
0: Yes. So another thing I wanted to bring up. So you and your mother when you were in the beginning stages you guys participated in WeStem which is a program for early stage technology companies out of 1871 in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I just want the listeners to kind of get a feel for how was that experience? Would you recommend that for other people?
1: Yeah. Um I definitely would. I think that it was great to uh, connect with other female entrepreneurs <laughs> who were honestly at really different stages other companies and some people who have actually like sold their own companies and owned other businesses before and so it was just a really great supportive environment to uh tap into and we you know apparently and we actually still keep in contact with each other and you know check on each other so I think a lot of times entrepreneurship can be kind of a lonely journey, especially because, you know, not everybody may understand what you're doing and where you're going. And so it was just great to to, uh, connect with like-minded women.
0: And speaking of
1: like-minded women, I know
0: recently you posted a article titled How the White Male Scientist Image is keeping the U.S. behind, and I kind of yeah. want to shift into. This. You obviously were in a We STEM program, so you see women with like-minded businesses and who have a like who are like-minded to what you're doing, and then you write this article. So I'm wondering what inspired you to write the article.
1: Yeah, so I think you a little bit, actually, the article right now is. Trending on Chicago you know, so there's a a lot of um yeah controversy not controversy around it, but one uh, of the things that that talking, actually, which is a good thing, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so one of the things that I mean obviously I have the title because it's it's controversial, but so if you look a little bit deeper into the article, it actually talks about the concept of academic identity, which is something that we kind of touched on during this conversation, but not really dig deep into it, but one of the things that um that uh, the research uh, actually from the National Academy of Sciences has proven is that even the best STEM programs, if they do not take this concept of academic like STEM learner identity into account, that basically it doesn't matter how great the program is, that it's going to continue to still target the same types of students. And so what that means is that STEM learner identity is actually something that that a child says like, hey, I'm actually a math person, right? I'm somebody mm-hmm. who is good at math, who does the math, who understands math. I'm a science person, right? I am somebody who does science, understands it, contributes to it. And if we don't develop that identity for girls and kids of color, it actually doesn't matter if they're smart or interested in the subject. They will not like pursue that subject moving forward because they don't feel like they fit into that field. And so the story actually goes into an example of how we measure that learner identity, and we use mm-hmm. a tool called a uh, Draw Scientist and Draw an Engineer Test. So the way that that test yep. is designed is that it's designed because small children basically cannot necessarily write paragraphs on how they identify with themselves, right? They can't be like, right. I identify as this. <laughs> so what we'd say is before we start our programming, we ask the kids to draw what they think a scientist looks like. We don't talk about science. We don't talk about what scientists do. We don't show them any pictures. We just ask them to draw a scientist. And so we talk about the story of a girl named Zora who went through our program. And before she began the program, she actually drew a scientist. He was a, she drew the typical white male mad scientist who has like glasses, lab coat in a weird laboratory with things growing out of God knows what, monsters, you know, (laughs) around the laboratory. And then after about five weeks of our program, she actually draws a woman scientist. She writes the word botanist by it. And the woman actually looks like her. Like if you look at a picture of Zora, the woman looks like her. She has plants around her. And so not only did she change her view of what a scientist looks like as somebody who could look like her, but she's actually identifying with a very specific field of science and she's able to like articulate what that would look like, like the career would look like for her. And so those are some of the things that that article kind of goes into. And it's really interesting because, you know, I've had a lot of STEM professionals, you know, black women, black men, all people of color professionals who are working in the field who are like hey, like, this, it's crazy how this problem is still going on in our workplace, that with all the the diversity programs, all the tech diversity programs that we Mm -hmm. talk about, that basically in the past 15 years, like, the STEM workforce is still overwhelmingly white male, even with all these programs that we're doing. And that article kind of begs the question of, like, hey, if we deal with this missing piece and make sure that people have that identity and that confidence that they're going to, you know, continue to persevere through and that we can like really widen the pipeline, you know, starting at an earlier age. So that's basically kind of what that uh, article goes into. That is
0: a great point because I guess one reason that I started the podcast is I want people to be able to, one, relate to people who are in tech that look like them, and then Mm -hmm. also to be able to see and hear about people who are in tech positions and know it's real and what path they Mm -hmm. took and know that it's possible. So I guess from your perspective, because you did write the article, do you have any ideas on how we can get more of that imagery in front of younger children so that they can be
1: inspired and know this is possible? Yeah. Yeah. So I can tell you a little bit like kind of our methodology and how we were able to get those kids to change their viewpoints on what scientists look like. Okay. I mean, one of the, I think one of the things is you do have to have real scientists, technologists, engineers mathematicians, you know, in the classroom with these kids, like you do have to have time for kids to not only learn the subject, but also bring in relevant people who are actually doing that in real life. Like there was one time where we went through microbiology, chemistry, and botany with the kids, and then we brought in a a black senior scientist from Wrigley, Gum. And so he basically came in and he was like, you know what, I use all three of those things in my job to make gum literally like i use this to make candy essentially (laughs) and so the kids were like oh my god that's so crazy cool so not only did they were they enjoying the subject but we also made sure that they we brought in a scientist who could say like hey here's how i apply the knowledge that you guys have learned to to do something that's actually really cool right and so those are one of the things that we do. And we also need to help kids connect the things that they like to do with like real, you know, real subjects, right? If a kid likes Legos, and just say that like, hey, you're really good at, you know, putting together Legos, but hey, you could be a structural engineer, right? Yeah. And then talk to them about what structural engineers do. If a kid like, you know, I always go back to plants. If a kid likes playing, you know, playing around in the garden and like getting dirty like, don't tell them they're going to be a gardener. Tell them they can be a botanist, right? So let's make sure that we're using scientific, technical language when we talk to children about, like, what they enjoy doing. And the third mm-hmm. thing is the is connecting the soft skills to actual, like, um, STEM careers. So if you have a kid who likes to work in teams, who likes to solve problems a lot, um, who likes to figure out, you know, how to, like, you know, they're the ones who, will try to, you know, come up with a contraption to get to the cookies at the top of the, the cookie jar. You know, and instead of like, you know, making them you know, feel bad about putting together contraptions, be like, hey, you know what, you could be an, an engineer, you could be a computer engineer or something like that because those are people, if you like to work with people, you need to be an engineer, right? Because that, that requires a lot of cross-functional um, learning and teams and teamwork and everything like that. And so I don't think that we tell kids, especially kids who are diverse, like, because they don't like, you know, learning, you know, I don't know, the really hard textbook subject, you know what I mean? And sitting down and like staring at a worksheet all day, that they're not going to be, they don't have the grit to pr- approach a STEM career, right? They you know, STEM is all about being out in the world and really solving problems and like putting the pieces together. And so I think that our assumptions about what makes a STEM person is usually completely off. We think about somebody who likes to be alone, <laughs> like in a corner working on something all day that you know you've worked in tech, a good person to work with in tech is somebody who has some interpersonal skills, right? Um, right. And who can communicate their ideas bring people together and so i think our assumptions about children start so early and we need to stop you know making the assumption of like a tech person being a lone lone ranger right (laughs) who doesn't like to talk to people (laughs) who stares at a screen all day and doesn't like want to interact with the rest of the world around them so yeah those are my kind of my anecdotes i don't know if that was helpful
0: oh yes of course it's helpful but one thing that does stick out in my mind obviously you work with younger kids so up to second grade correct Mhm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: so if we start giving them these images early on what is a way we can keep that image in their mind because obviously sec when you get from second grade and let's say they're going into high school some things you know everything is evolving daily things change mm-hmm. but it's important you know to keep these images in kids minds because they go to high school and they might forget, you know, oh, somebody told me about being an engineer when I was in second grade. Mm -hmm. So from your perspective, is there any way that we can continually, from an outside perspective and a teaching perspective, keep these images of
1: STEM-related positions in the children's minds? I mean, well, I'm a belief of a, a full K through 12 STEM pipeline, but not that that is um a slow process It's <laughs> a slow uh, <laughs> process in this country oh yeah. but eventually that's what you know eventually that's what we're working on in partnership with a, a couple of other folks uh including with 1647 and helping pass on the kids into third grade into their their tech pipeline but uh i would say that In addition to, I know for us, passing kids on to other programs that we think would be like a good fit for them and helping parents navigate and find those resources. In addition to that, I think that if it isn't there, one of the things that I do notice is that when a child is really, really passionate about something, usually the adults in the room get on board. Usually, especially their parents. So if you think about when a kid loves to, I don't know, play baseball, like what happens, right? The kid goes into base, was it Pee Wee baseball or something like that? And then the next step is they go into, I don't know, like a junior, another junior league, and then after that they go into another league, and then after that, and so that's where we really think that the catalyst of a of a child being interested in STEM before the age of eight and a parent having that kind of embedded into their head, child continuously asking for more is like basically the catalyst to keep the parent either demanding that in their school or either just going outside and finding those resources for their child because we know that most parents do want their children to be successful right and they do usually listen to their children when they they hear what they're passionate about thing is is that most parents you know if their kid is if their kid is asking for you know princess or like you know, race cars or whatever, that's what they usually get for Christmas, right? But if they're asking for a chemistry set, you're asking for, you know, a scratch, um, you know, to, to do more scratch games uh, from MIT, then that's going to be a different mindset that that parent's going to be in when it comes to what they're, they look for for the next opportunity for their kids. So that's why we really think that the kid and dual parent engagement is important, because if you start that early and not only the kids head but also the parents usually they'll continue to to, to keep it through or to to, to uh, see it through right and I just
0: feel like um from at least from our conversation today a big thing that people have to keep in mind is again that support teacher supporting mm-hmm. parents supporting family supporting mm-hmm. so I just want people to keep in mind when they're listening it's always good to support a kid if that's what they're interested in and try to find the necessary resources that they can see if this is a true interest for them. So I want to dig into a little bit more about Page and Paxton and the make that you guys do. So what exactly mm-hmm. happens at the make a
1: Yeah, so a, a Page and Paxton make-a-thon is a full day of science and engineering challenges uh, led by real STEM professionals in the community. So Again, if it's a structural engineering challenge, we actually find a structural engineer in the community that looks like the kids in the room. And in addition to STEM professionals attending as vo- or, or leading the modules as volunteers, we also make sure that the parents stay for the full day. And so for half of the day, we break up the kids and parents. The kids do the modules with the STEM professionals. So we actually do workshops with the parents on, you know, what is STEM? Why do you need to focus on it so early with your kids? What, is, what are some things, ways that you can do STEM at home? And then we actually, after first half of the day, we bring the kids and parents back together. And then the parents get to actually apply what they learned in the first half to the second half of the day and engage in the STEM projects with their kids. So it's a really great way to just be kind of a a spark that lights the fire of of like, what does early STEM education look like? Because I think a lot of people, nobody's going to say no to early STEM, but I don't think a lot of people know what it looks like. How fun and easy and just like engaging it can be for very small children and how they can really grasp those concepts. So it's uh, it's a, just a really fun event. I actually based it off of the concept of the hackathons, because I'm sure mm. you've been to plenty. One of the things that I really liked about hackathons was like that open-ended problem kind of a thing where it's like, hey, mm-hmm. we have a, we may have a topic like education, but your solution can look like whatever you think your solution needs to be. And then just like working with other people that you don't know, that you just met that day, that come up with that solution. And I thought that that was something that, if made appropriate for small children, could be made for them, right? And right. so we don't only do like technology, but we do like all different types of systems. So we do like things like chemistry, paleontology, I said structural engineering, civil, do geometry module. So there's just a, we try to bring a very big, uh, like a really wide net of uh, STEM subjects, the kids, so they can see all the different types, a lot of different types of STEM that they could do.
0: I love that you guys don't just focus on one particular part of STEM. You guys do the whole wide variety. So that is awesome. Mm -hmm. And I love, well, obviously, kids. Kids are (laughs) hands-on, and I've actually seen Mm -hmm. you guys work with kids at at several events. And you guys guys have them so excited and so focused, so I love that you're doing these make-a-thons. So one important question is, where have you done the make-a-thons, what locations?
1: Yeah, so we've done them in four cities, Um, so Chicago, New York, D.C., and then also St. Louis. Um, So we will, um, people always ask us, oh, where do you do make-a-thons? Honestly, we'll do them anywhere that anybody wants to have them. So hopefully we can uh, get out to the West Coast um, and also further down South eventually.
0: How can someone bring a -a make-a-thon to their community?
1: So usually make-a-thons are, are sponsored, had schools that have sponsored make-a-thons for their students. Like there was a one school where we did it for like their entire kindergarten class, which was 125 kids. So we've done make-a-thons <laughs> for everything from 125 kids all the way down to 20 kids. And either they're sponsored by the school or they're sponsored by like a corporate or uh, educational partner. So, like for example, Northwestern University has sponsored makeathons. We've done them with the, the Girl Scouts of America, General Assembly, the ed tech company. So, all all different types of companies and organizations sponsor makeathons. Such a great idea! I feel like everyone should have one of these at their school. But as long as we can let
0: people know that there's an option to have it, that's a great start. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Another question, though, because the makathon: Does it have to be at a school, or could it be kind of like a community center or something of that nature?
1: Yeah, so we've we've hosted them at schools, hosted them at General Assembly's New York and Chicago mm-hmm. location. We mm-hmm. held one in a in a church. <laughs> we <laughs> held one. Or else, actually, in the the one in St. Louis was in the Peabody body housing projects, and so we will we'll take makeup ons anywhere that we can fit them. <laughs> so
0: now that we know that, I hope some people are making notes to make <laughs> for makeup thon in their community. Yeah, you guys are doing a thons and you guys are doing all of these wonderful things for the STEM curriculum for kids. What do you see happening in your future?
1: So I think one of the what we see happening in the future of page Paxton is is continuing to go along the lines of supporting you know the entire community and helping kids get involved in stem and so I we do see ourselves and, and it's coming along with the, the parent community where we're basically going to have a very flexible environment where hey a kid could Start a module in class on, let's see, for example, on microbiology, and then you know at home they could actually work with their parents on finishing that, right? And so having, not always, I think a lot of pressure is put on schools to deliver content and and do a lot of different services that school shouldn't be doing, and that you mm-hmm. know, uh, given that there is so much to do in a elementary, you know, when you're talking about early elementary education. Kids have to learn reading and writing, right? That's most of what they're learning. And on top of all the other like social, emotional, social studies, everything like that. And so instead of us making teachers feel like they have to push so much into a day that's already crowded, hey, let's, why don't we have the flexibility of starting and stopping projects at home in school virtually and at making sure that the kids can go outside of the classroom and learn them as well? And engaging the community. So we're really uh, working on how to build out that technology so that you can not only just have kids, you know, logging into the computer and doing work, but actually, you know, giving the, the parents and the adults the directives in order to help them, like, learn outside of the classroom. Like, what is, you know, like I said, with the civil engineering, you know, we help the parents teach their kids basically the engineering design process and uh, part of that was having the kids observe buildings around their neighborhood right not just you know logging online but actually going out into their community and seeing how their community is designed design and deciding on how like either they want to mimic that or maybe there are some things that they would want to change in that community. So we want to make, so that's what we're we're really moving toward is having the on and offline piece be a little bit more seamless for Mm -hmm. the education system and not always assume that everything has to happen within the four walls of a classroom or the other extreme, you know, sitting and staring at a computer all day, you know, so (laughs) that's what we're trying to do.
0: And, you know, something that just came to mind when you were discussing about schools and STEM, and obviously you've interacted with schools and their STEM programs, from your perspective, is there a way that we can assist with improving STEM in schools, or what is your perspective (laughs) of even
1: STEM teaching in
0: schools currently?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I mean... I mean, the best way that you can improve it, I mean, a lot of the parents that I've seen, I'm going to do it from the parent perspective because those are the ones who who have talked to me about ways that they've tried to improve their child's school system, even when the schools may not have wanted to do certain things, is that, you know, honestly, just get involved. Do if you want to do. You want to help with the the programming the easiest way to do that with schools is that just do the programming and show them the engagement of the students because a lot of I mean schools are designed and you know it's really hard to for schools to change and that they're they're designed that way not to be always that flexible and it's it's there it's some of their it's their fault and a lot of it is just you know all the regulation and policy that schools have to deal with but I would say, say if you really are passionate about STEM, just go out and do stuff with, with the children and, and get involved in your local community. I think that is the, the best way that you can help the problem. I know people right. don't want to do I, that, but.
0: I mean, but that's kind of part of the problem, right? And yeah. not to sound to mean, but because if people would get more involved, the community would be, it would just be a different place. And mm-hmm. it would be amazing to see just everyone helping in the community, helping the children, because as cliche as it is to say, the children are the future. And yeah, they are. If, if we're not teaching them anything, be it skills to have jobs, from anything to knowing what's right and wrong, what do they think the future is going to end
1: yeah. up being? <laughs> I mean, either you invest so. now or you pay for it some way later. <laughs>
0: right exactly (laughs) i as you know i do black girls code and different volunteering experiences and i just believe in giving back to the community and helping in any way that you can but it seems over the years that we've kind of lost the sense of community so another reason Mm -hmm. i like is that you're growing your community you're growing that community aspect which has been kind of lost over the last couple of years i believe
1: yeah and um i'm actually reading Interestingly, this is a short book on, like, education reform. And I think a lot of times we assume that reform involves getting, like, adults, certain adults out of the way of children. But really, it's like, who else is, who else is number one going, who else is on the ground with these kids to begin with, besides the teachers and their parents? And who else would care as much about the kids as these adults around them? So I think we need to like stop assuming that, you know, these adults are out to get these children. It's like a lot of them just don't know. They don't know what they're doing right. um, or that they're hindering or helping or, you know, what's really working. And so I think we need to, if you are a believer in reform, you have to work within the communities that these children are in because that's where they live. Where they, they go every day. So we have to be very cognizant of being supportive of those adults around them as well.
0: Right, and I think another thing, and this is personally what I love about your mission, People often forget the adults that are, or the people around the children that need to also mm-hmm. maybe need more information. For example, I have a seven year old goddaughter, and you try to help her with math, and there's just some things that they do now that I have no clue about. <laughs> you know, where this is just like, let me carry the one and do addition. These kids do like some zigzag, whatever.
1: Yeah, probably common core math, yeah. (laughs) Right. So
0: it's. I think it's such a relief to
1: see that someone is at least trying to
0: also educate the parents and the adults that are around the situation so everyone is kind of on at least a similar page, if not the same page. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, you know, parents, you know, they do care about their kids. You know, they want them to do well and be better off than they are. And so even if you just take it to that level of, you know, hey, this is good for you and your child, and it's going to help them be successful. So I think once you frame it like that, of course, a parent is going to listen and at least try to figure it out. Mm -hmm.
0: Right. In that case, where can the listeners find out about information about and Paxton and yourself so they can connect with you?
1: Yeah, so you can go to our website uh, pageandpaxton dot com. Um, if you're a parent and want to receive updates on our programming, it's pageandpaxton dot com backslash parents, um, and then you just sign up, and we will uh, send you information about our programs, live streams, at home projects, everything. Um, and then, of course, you can always everybody can follow us on you know on social media. Um, on Facebook and Twitter, it's Paige Ann Paxton. That's all. If you type that in, you'll find us. <laughs> that's all. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much it.
0: All right, Kelly. Well, thank you for taking the time to speak with me today, and I hope you enjoyed talking. And I hope a lot of listeners start taking advantage of the products that she's supplying. Paul, oh,
1: thank you so much for having me. This was a fun conversation.